Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zagney. Just a two-man show for you here tonight. I am joined by my partner and Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It is always fun to be back, talking about one of my favorite periods of history and least favorite games of 2013. Oh no, Troy, what could it be? I don't know, I forget. (laughs) It's the Caesar and Gaul expansion, man. Oh man, you're right. But you wouldn't know it, would you? There's a thing about that. No, it 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 it's very Caesar. It's very Gaul. It's very, it's very Rome to total war. It's just a different map. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of it. So as we've been talking about it over the course of this week, I reviewed it for a Eurogamer. I don't think the review has gone up quite yet. Uh, but I, as I was playing it, I was really hoping that this expansion could address at least some of my myriad issues with Rome 2. And to its credit, it does. Um, I think the best thing this this expansion has going for it is it shrinks this ridiculously overblown game uh, into something more manageable and addresses, I think, one of, uh, a problem that we both had, which is that in Vanilla Rome 2, that map was so expansive that there wasn't nearly enough friction between the factions. It was just huge wastelands between anybody doing anything to each other. This is something that I know you and I have talked about, and we've talked about with some of our friends about looking forward to this Gallic expansion and comparing it to. We've moved to put this in the context of other Total War expansions. A lot of we compared it favorably in thinking to uh, the Napoleonic campaign's expansion of Empire, which was small, tight, very focused on battles, very compressed, unlike the sprawling mess of Empire Total War. Or even uh, some of the I mean, Shogun was a really good game. They had really good expansions that had, that shortened the time frame a bit, but gave you really really cool things to do. So in many ways, they were focused expansions, but not the same size map. But the experience was much tighter and much faster. Uh, so they took a good game and made it more interesting by putting a different spin on it. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, because that's actually the first thing I brought up in my review that I wrote, which is that one of the things kind of working against Caesar and Gaul is, I think Creative Assembly really developed a fantastic track record with their expansions, not just in terms of them being really good, but in them doing something maybe a little bit different than the original core game did, like... The Fall of the Samurai expansion is effectively a different game. It's it's yeah. it's um you know the last samurai of the game really. It's it's a rifle. It's an Age of Rifles mashup with uh you know uh, samurai weaponry, which is really cool. It's a it's a really engaging concept. Uh, and don't forget, Napoleon had a ex- had an expansion campaign itself, the Peninsular War, where it had right. a slew of new mechanics to try to at least try to address the fact that Napoleon was, on the one hand, fighting the remnants of the Spanish Empire and the the British, but then he was also fighting a counterinsurgency. And so you had a lot of um, emphasis on uh, agents in in that game, that you'd have this idea of, you'd have an agent around that was basically waging guerrilla warfare, and there's this little battle of hearts and minds that was taking place. And it's really the only time that the Total War series really took the agents seriously. Because uh, this is really, and I'll talk about this with the Gaul expansion as well. They they insist on putting all of these agents into the game, but then making this huge big ass map, where it's just more efficient for me to send a goddamn army up there, than to hope a spy 
takes out a general or sees something interesting. Uh, the, the way that agents have worked historically with total war campaigns. Uh, but in that Peninsular War one, the agents were actually given important and useful things to do throughout the game, and they were kind of a lifeline, uh, especially for the Napoleonic player. And that's the sort of looking at your rule set and what can I do to this to make it fit the setting that Creative Assembly has done relatively well in some of their recent expansions. Now, you know, before Empire, their expansions had a real mess of a record. Uh, but after Empire, I think they, uh, with the Napoleon, Napoleon one, I think they've done quite a good job with it. Gaul is, I mean, I just see it as a, I think you may like it more than I do, I don't know. It just feels to me like a, a somewhat smaller uh, Rome Total War, partly because for some reason they will let you have you can start with a cap of six armies, where in the main game you start with what a cap of three. Yeah, they start they, they cap you really low. And whereas in the this Caesar he can he can have tons of armies, so it feels so it really feels like a small map because you can just form a line and sweep your way north uh, if you have to uh, eventually once you have the the money to afford them, which, you know, sack a few towns and you can get that going pretty well. Yeah, I, I think for me, well, okay, there, there's a couple things that are actually kind of hard for me to prize apart. Okay. One is that I played Rome 2 a bit after the second major patch came out. And mm -hmm. I found it was a better game. I was impressed by how yeah. much performance they'd been able to wring out of the game uh, you yep. know, in just like two months. That was that was really cool. But then I kind of got away from it because fundamentally my main issues with the game had not been addressed. And, uh, oh, God, the Civil War broke out. And I was just like, I cannot do this again. I cannot continue playing this game. The Civil War is so fucking dumb. Um, who, who are these guys? It's just Rome 2, Civil War. Civil War breaks out. Who the hell are these guys? It's like more Roman armies than I've ever seen just like spawn like cancer on the map. And it's just, oh, God. Anyway, so that's Rome 2. So I kind of missed a bunch of the patches uh, that the Creative Assembly were, were doing in the intervening time. And so Caesar and Gaul was kind of my first return to Rome in uh, a while. And certainly the first time I'd come back to it in about maybe at least two major patch cycles. So I was also impressed by maybe how much faster and tighter this game felt, in part because uh, the game substantially uh, improved in, in how it's been optimized. Um, that's That was my experience, at least, but I did make some upgrades. I got, I got solid-state drives for my machine, which made everything run a bit faster. Troy, did you notice, like, I mean, how, how much better is Rome 2 doing these days on your machine? <laughs> Technically, it's it moves a lot faster. It's a lot less long waiting between turns. Armies move more smoothly and more quickly. Uh, it's not a lot of waiting around for things to happen. The AI turns process a lot more better. They've done a really good job just generally optimizing the code uh, to the state where it should have been at release. Uh, but they have two. Creative Assembly's credit, they've made it move very, very quickly and very, very smoothly now. Uh, it's much faster than Shogun, for example, which is still a slow, slow slogging mess. It's a great game, but the turns take forever uh, to load. Uh, 
Rome Two is nowhere near that slow. Uh, it's they've done a really good job on the technical side of making the game run better. There's still response issues with uh, in the battles, especially getting units to recognize commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still an ongoing issue, and I'm not sure if that's because I'm not hammering my mouse hard enough when I need that cavalry to charge. Charge now, damn it. Charge, you're upon us. Um, but I think it's just something is going on where the armies are not responding. I'm not sure. Are you getting that? Uh, no, no, I'm not. However, I will say when I've had... Uh... When I've had some performance issues with with uh, Total War games in the past, the first thing to go is usually mouse responsiveness. Um, yeah. So if there's a little bit of like in in tactical battle issues that are cropping up, yeah, I can definitely, I definitely know the kind of thing you're talking about where it's like not every click is registering. Plus, you have the 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 weird Total War thing of how unit how your commands are being interpreted. Like, yeah, the, like sometimes you tell your guys just to move, right, and they start running. Just like across the map to their new position, it's like, dudes, you didn't need to. No, stop. Like, chill. Like, save your strength. <laughs> but then, when you got a cavalry unit and you're like, hit those guys, hit those guys right fucking now, and you like double right click on the enemy, and your cavalry just sort of start like cantering toward them slowly, slower than the infantry unit, in fact. Um, that that can be a little bit exasperating. The uh, sort of the, the the inconsistency with which. Uh, with which Rome interprets your orders. Maybe it's not inconsistency because it's actually quite consistent. It just never is quite doing exactly what I want it to be doing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I haven't run into those issues. Uh, I've had a few crash issues, but. Right. but I haven't had any crash issues, but in general, I'm very pleased with the technical performance of Rome too. So if any of you stop playing it because of the technical stuff, the technical issues, and not because of the gameplay, gameplay design issues, I do suggest you go back and check it out because it is technically a much stronger and better performing game. So, I mean, when I, when I turn that to, to Caesar and Gaul, I think there's... Okay, so, you know, the reasons why I might like it a little bit better than you do is that because it's just Gaul, because there's only really a handful of factions in play right. compared to everyone that's in play in Rome 2, uh, things tend to, like, the turns cycle very quick. Uh, yep. And there's usually somebody nearby to fight, which was a huge issue in Rome 2. It's like, oh, you, yes. like, God help you. Like, is there anything worse than, like, having to sail... Um, across the Mediterranean, north south, to go try to fight somebody. Like, good God, the Punic Wars were never more boring. Okay, like, some, like, <laughs> give me some Alps to cross because it's got to be better than this shit. Uh, that was that was kind of Rome too. And what I what I really like about Rome too, uh, Caesar and Gaul is that well, one, there's no there's no freaking oceans uh, really that you have to worry about, which is a huge relief. We, you don't have to go to that into the really. Not well done naval game. Oh, no. It's uh, Talk about a thing being in the game just for the sake of being... You know, the Romans themselves didn't even like naval games, okay? Like, they did everything they possibly could. They were like, oh, this is bullshit. I mean, that's that's the Roman relationship to the sea. Uh, so, I, like, I think the Creative Assembly probably should have taken a cue from them and, uh, and avoided that. But, you know, but the the main thing is, though, in, in my experience in playing Caesar in Gaul, 
there's usually a good fight on the horizon. There's usually a city nearby that I can march to and yeah. take. There's a few good armies nearby that we can get a, get in a good scrap with, which just Rome 2 didn't generate enough of those conflicts, and Caesar and Gaul sort of has them in spades. And so while I still wouldn't say it's like, you know, a great Total War game. It definitely gets me closer to what I consider the classic Total War experience of this, like, whole uh, do a little bit of consolidation, building up, expand an army, yeah. you know, then send your guys out, find someone, fight a few, like, critical battles, storm a city, and start consolidating again. And getting back to that cycle was really nice and not having to deal with so much bullshit. Uh, but I get the sense that you are not so forgiving. Well, let's focus on the positive. Let's start with the positive, because there's, there are quite a few positives here. And one th- good thing about the small map is, and that it's smaller and you can see more of it, you know, in one good shot, is you can really appreciate the attention they paid to the terrain, to the forests, to the mountains. Like I have a Mark Anthony he has an army, you know, somewhere in north of Genoa, and I've got to take over oh, the Iranians or whatever on the other side and he can't get there he's got to go through the Helvetians and then he's got to walk through a neutral territory to get to that place even though it's a small map I love the way how it makes all the distances seem a little bit larger because there are places your armies just can't go because Mark Anthony's no Hannibal he's not going to go walking over mountains he just doesn't have that in him he's, he, he, he's a lover not a fighter uh, so I, I and I think the but everything the, the forests the rivers um, you don't use the water but seeing the coasts there well, and the changing the, seasons the oh, the the weather that the what you know, seeing your armies suffer and the the length of the seasons uh, the snowfalls you can see them coming and realizing crap can I get to a am I worth the attrition here holding this army because the seasons are longer in this game right than in there, it goes month by month or uh, two, two months. weeks. Two, yeah, it goes two ha- weeks. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks at a time. So it ha- instead of you know the much more compressed time frame of Rome two, so you do have these strategic questions popping into your head. You know, it's going to be winter soon. How long can I sit here outside Gallic capital number five in the cold? Can I get back to friendly territory in time? And is it worth it? Uh, how many men am I going to lose in this winter? Uh, so these questions of attrition do start popping into your head in ways that they really didn't, I felt. Uh, so not to the same extent uh, in Rome too. And a lot of that has to go to the credit of the shorter turn, well not short, the, there are as many turns, but they're shorter in time frame, but in a smaller map, so you do get to understand where everything is, um, help is never too far away, but it never gets there when you need it. It's that sort of tension uh, that I think the map design, uh, compared with the campaign pace, really makes effective. Yeah, you know, it really does bring some of these things to life. The fact that, like, in Rome 2, if you didn't want to deal with attrition, well, just don't send your armies into the heart of the desert, dummy. Like that was that was really it. Like yeah. there were clearly places in the map where it's like, well, just don't just don't go there. Just don't leave your guys parked there. That's that's dumb. Don't do it ever. Whereas here you get a little more of that. Maybe I do want to try to force march through here for a winter assault and take some territory. You know what I mean? Like, you you, you can't even get too far out of your cities. 
in your own territory. No, no you cannot. Before, in, in the middle of winter, before you start losing dudes. Yeah, and if you march across, and that's the other thing, if you, you used to be able to sort of cheat it, right? If yeah. you march from one place to the other in the dead of winter uh, and, and begin and your turn in a safe zone, uh, nobody died. Like, you had no attrition. Yeah. Now, uh, you do. If you try to sort of beeline from, uh, you try to beeline from, uh, say, say Genoa up to, um, uh, what's the uh, Helvetii uh, capital? Octoduran. Um, Oc- Octoduran. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you try to beeline that to set yourself up for an assault deeper into uh, deeper into like Burgundy or something, uh, your guys are going to get screwed up just from just from having marched through those passes, uh, which is kind of cool. It's like yeah. it's like oh yeah, attrition actually matters here uh, more than ever before. Uh, and I would even say the the time frame extends to uh, the role of agents, um, which is that in Rome too. Because a turn was a year or a half year, um, basically you had an agent and a, or a general, and they would all die of old age before ever becoming remotely useful. Um, there was just no incentive to try to level up an agent because she she would be you know she'd be worm food uh, just at the time she's starting to get a fifty fifty shot of accomplishing something useful. Here, because the agents are really going to be alive for the entire campaign, you can get these crazy super agents, and it totally pays to uh, to invest in them and develop their skills. Uh, same for generals. So you see parts of the uh, parts of the uh, character development tree that you just never saw before. It's it's this weird thing where all of these things were such terrible, terrible design decisions in Rome too, that with us, just by refocusing their energies in a smaller, just in very small ways, they actually turn out to not necessarily be terrible. The character development and the like. I, mean, I still think the retinue is a problem, and we'll go talk for everybody how bad I think the retinue issue is. Uh, but in a small camp, in a, over the space of a few years, it doesn't matter all that much. But the, the trait system um, and this silly, stupid research tree, uh, I think, actually works reasonably well in this smaller, comp- compressed space. Yeah, and it's also just nice to. Um... Going back to the weather effects for just a second, the mm-hmm. battles are so much more dramatic because the weather's more dynamic. Um, it, it's it's a little lo- yeah. a little lurid, actually, how uh, how moody and atmospheric the the battles can get. But I think in Rome two, there's this problem of uh, it's almost like Rome two Los Angeles or something like that, where it's like. <laughs> It's just just another beautiful Mediterranean day. You know, no matter where you were fighting, no matter what was going on, it was just always the sort of flatly lit, sunny yeah. uh, bullshit. Whereas here, there's much more the sense of, uh, you know, my God, this is this is the close of an autumn campaign, and these guys are be fighting to the death in a washed out uh, farmer's field, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things here that. Yeah, in Rome 2, they didn't work at all, and by shrinking the scale down, uh, they, they, start to, they start to actually work as maybe originally intended. How, how it took this expansion to reach that point is sort of a question for another day. I'm kind of, like, it, it's so clear this is how the systems are kind of supposed to work that I don't fully understand why they didn't, but... I still think I still think it's, they were, I still think they're I think they're bad systems. I think they just happen to work on a smaller scale, which is great. They found the right scale for the systems, but they built a huge game initially 
with these systems. I think they had they have it's a decent design, but not for the game that they built. It's they just don't work in Rome too. I don't think that it's. I think that they, I mean the the whole idea of. I mean, you mentioned the fact that your, your agents and generals would die really quickly. There's no way they could have missed that. There's no way this would not, and this wasn't an issue in other Total War games. And the, the first Rome, you know, you, your general's dead, no problem. Partly because the map itself wasn't this ridiculous expanse that took 30 years to get across. Uh, just so dumb. It's just, it's not even how, it's not even how the world works. Like, you literally no. could walk. From like you can you can walk from Italy to France in less than a year. It can be done. It can. Uh, so, I, 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 but um, but that's not a. It's yeah. I can talk over the, the just the basic core design problems in Rome too, and many of them are repeated in the expansion. Uh, I think you just can't get around like how terrible the interface is. Yeah. So. You were you were having some major problems. Now I have I have made my peace with that interface to an ex- to an extent. Is it just familiarity? You've decided, you know, and now I understand this. And yeah, you know, I think. Okay, so I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really miss the fact. I miss the days when you just right click on something and an information panel would come up with clear options, and like those were good days. Yeah. That was that was a good era for for Rome, and and to not have that just kind of frustrates me a little bit. I guess I've internalized enough about the whole like, if you're in a city management screen, the purple tile is the religious thing, the orange tile is the civic thing. I I kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, this is just I I've internalized enough of this now that I can just sort of administer my provinces all uh, really quickly from from one from one place and not have to go chase down city by city, which is kind of nice. That centralization is nice. Yeah, but I guess I fundamentally still don't. I still fundamentally think that there was kind of a art like almost like art direction taking precedence over functionality with regard to the interface that like there is it's it's so caught up in its own little like pottery figure drawings and everything yeah. that it sometimes forgets that things aren't like things should be clear to the player that the the an icon should express something about what the button does and that doesn't seem to be the case here i mean it's just even basic simple stuff like if i'm hovering over a like a temple the pop-up of information shouldn't be over to the far left over what this temple does. It's been right over the mouse is. That's what I'm looking at. I'm hovering over the owl of Minerva. I wonder what the temple of Minerva does. I don't want to look over to my far left to see what Minerva does. Minerva's in front of me. She's a wise woman. That's where the, the information should be. Uh, all the information is in the wrong place uh, for almost everything. Um, and that continues uh, in this uh, game. Um, the... I, th- I think it is nice that the the politics research track, the civics research track, are the three triumvirs. There's a support for Caesar, support for Pompey, support for Crassus. And you research along there, and you get little bonuses, and that unlocks new buildings and gives you new resources and things to make your people happy, whatever. It's a nice little historical fan service thrown my way and, you know, the politics of trying to keep Pompey, Crassus, and Caesar friends. Um, but I couldn't tell you, I couldn't even guess by looking at those icons what everything did. 
Um, I had no idea why one gives me horses when the icon has nothing to do with horses. If I was just going through it and looking at it, I would have no idea that Crassus would give me horses. Why? I guess he has horses. But everyone has horses. He's a man of means. He, 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 he can afford it. He can afford his own army. Uh, so yeah, I, I, so, so this beautifully nice idea of a tech tree, of a tech path, uh, just becomes this confusing, like a little, like you say, this little art project with little squiggly white lines and one's Julia, I guess, because the first thing in the Pompey track is, hey, Julia gets married to Pompey. And then the second like thing is third, Julia dies. The, the second or third thing is Julia's dead. And the fourth thing is, hey, Julia gets a gravestone. It's like, oh, dude. You know, you can, there's a little bit more going on here than just Julia. Uh, so so this, that entire track, as well as the civics track, the military track, they just become this mess of iconography, which isn't bad. But then you compare it to the elegance of the Shogun uh, skill system and tech system all the way down through, which worked for not just for buildings and research, but also for the traits, just where the art and the information seem to work in harmony. Um, now, they weren't going to change... That, that's a bit of a stupid complaint for me to make because they weren't going to change the UI for the expansion. So I shouldn't be railing against a UI that there was zero chance of them making a dramatic shift away from. Uh, that's, that's kind of a not fair uh, attack for me. I guess one of my things with this uh, is with the expansion that I kind of, kind of negative, I really shouldn't, is... Um, one of the great things about the historical games, the historical Total War games, the Shogun, the, uh, Shogun game and Medieval and Rome, is the variety of units. Is how yeah. is the the beauty, and even even all, even in Shogun Shogun Japan, you had a wide variety of different looking samurai dudes, uh, and they all had quite a bit of. Just, they're quite distinct from each other. Uh, you were facing relatively distinct armies. You know, some might have few more muskets, some might have more spears. Uh, but so one of the great things about the pre-gunpowder uh, total war games, um, and something you don't get in the Napoleon or Empire games, really, is the variety. This game, I mean, it's unavoidable, but it is legions against barbarians forever barbarians all the way down um you might get some neat cavalry thrown in and if you move far enough along the track before you destroy gaul you'll get some elite roman gladiator units maybe but generally you're just going to be stocking up on legions and javelin dudes and maybe a few horsemen but it's almost always going to be legions and javelin dudes beating off hordes of Naked Frenchman. Thank you for working beating off and hordes of naked Frenchmen into the same sentence. Uh, that'll be that's gonna make our, that's gonna make our highlight reel. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, so, the, so that I guess here it is, I and mean, this is part of the fault of history, um, because that's what history was. This is, as Bruce would say, this, this is how it really happened. You really did have, you know, a bunch of Roman legionnaires just beating army after army. But Caesar did also have a lot of mercenaries that you don't get to see 
in this. You don't get to see, you know, the Spanish mercenaries. Where are my Numidians at? The Greek archers, the Numidian cavalry, or the German mercenaries. You might be able to get some German mercenaries if you go further north, but I haven't found any. Uh, but they the German horse he would hire. These were all important parts of his army, especially towards the end uh, of the Gallic War. Um, but you don't get that variety, which is such an important part, I think, of the Rome experience. Um, even when the game isn't being a successful game, Rome 2, you still have, holy crap, there's elephants. There's a whole forest of spears walking towards me. There's chariots. Mm -hmm. There's not supposed to be chariots, but here are chariots. There are different types of swordsmen. You get to have this whole panoply of the ancient world in front of you. And though I don't play a lot of the battles in the Total War games, because I do find sometimes they drag on, or the AI is just not quite good enough, so I'll auto-complete a lot of them. But, you know, the, this just makes me more inclined to do it more quickly. Just because, okay, I'm just, I know what my battle plan's going to be. It's, I know this is a flat spot of land. There's not a lot of creativity here. Or, okay, this is a hill. There's no point in me staying on the hill because I don't have any archers to use it, so I'll just charge down and mow everything. My tactics aren't going to be that interesting or that flexible. So you don't get to have even any of Caesar's tactical brilliance in front of you. Um, as beautiful as the battlefields are, mm -hmm. the battles themselves don't lend themselves to, okay, I'm an alien force outnumbered in the forests, I've got to win this battle with the lowest possible casualties. Yes. Because the army, because your army does replenish. You still get your reinforcements. But you never get that feeling of, I think that I would have fewer problems with the same battle over and over again if I knew I had to conserve them and I had to get better at them and make them more elite. Like I couldn't hold them back because I had to have them fight it. I had to get my 13th Legion. I have to get my units up to elite status. So they have to fight. And as they fight, they become more resistant to casualties. They get their experience, which does happen in the game, of course. But since the legions replenish and reinforce quite easily, you don't have that sense of, I need a crack unit right here, right now, and here's the crack unit. Because, you know what, this rookie legion, it'll get its lead, it'll It'll retreat, it'll lose this battle, but it'll get experience, that's fine. Um, you don't have that sense of the loss of manpower, that this campaign was so important. I mean, yeah, Caesar could call for more legions, but there was a limit on what he could call for. He was so reliant on his Gallic allies. That's with the diplomatic game, which is still not that much better uh, no. in, in uh, Gallic Wars than it is in Rome too. That's where the diplomatic side of Caesar's campaign is just as brilliant uh, and essential as the uh, military side. I mean, the, why did Vercingetorix's rebellion scare the crap out of Caesar? Because he had no diplomatic room to maneuver, really. He was kind of shut out of this entire field of battle, uh, the diplomatic side that he'd relied on for so long. So, and I think that, I think that part of that essential part of the Gallic Wars is missing, where you compared, as you said earlier, to the Napoleonic Peninsular War uh, campaign for empire that really did get at s an, some true things about that very difficult campaign. 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things there that I, that I kind of want to get into because there's, there's a lot of great points. And I think the first thing I wanted to maybe ask you about is that, do you remember how dramatic terrain used to be in the Total War games? Like, in Shogun and, uh, and Medieval, it was really commonplace to have these really salient geographic features on the map. Uh, and I kind of feel like ever since they started... Um, you know, talking about satellite scanning and whatever they, yep. yeah, their their whole like, oh, this is you know the real area, whatever. I I feel like there's been a trend with each new Total War to sort of like flatten the world out a little bit. Like you know the battlefields are they feature you know if there's a hill it's not going to be much of a hill. If you know if there's a ridge it's going to be a small one. If there's going to be a forest it's going to be sort of a tiny. There aren't that many big dramatic maps anymore which you know maybe is realistic like who really yeah. would fight on a you know 40 degree slope up a up a mountain. That's that's pretty rare you're going to have a general feed his troops up. It's cool if you're defending that ridge. Uh it's it's a hell of a view but it, it's not terribly convincing. On the other hand I feel like, um, well, every every map in Rome 2 feels like the dance floor of Ares. It's perfectly laid out for spearmen and infantry and cavalry to engage over a broad plain. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, you know, at first it's like, ooh, this is roomy. I, I, can, I can get my whole army into action. It'll be cool. But after a time, I really start, I find myself missing like the whole, you know my left flank is anchored on a steep ridge and they're going to sweep the hill clear as they charge down. Um, I, I start to miss the whole feeling of, my God, my cavalry is going to get massacred by, uh, by ranged units before they ever get close to doing anything uh, because the guy's, on, the guy's on a huge ridge and I don't know how to storm it. Right. And in, in, in this and in Rome too, I kind of feel like, eh, it's all, it's all kind of perfectly laid out for you guys just to go at each other. I've been to some pretty steep hills. I've been, well, at least I've been, I've been caught on some steep hills. Uh, so I have seen, you know, relatively, relatively steep hills. But you're right that in general, I mean, once they moved to the satellite scanning and the 3D map thing, you could pretty much, you, you would, you could choose your site of battle. Something you couldn't do in the old province to province movement because each, because each province had a map to it, for the most part. Or maybe a couple of maps, but there wasn't a lot of variety uh, within that province. Each now you now you will choose, and most of the land you're going across is going to be flat, uh, and that's where you're going to be running into armies. Um, there really aren't that many hills, it looks like, and there aren't a lot of forests. But I've seen a few sharp divides, uh, but you don't know where they are, and so but you could certainly play an entire campaign and never see a thick wood. Or never see a huge cliff face or huge mountain that you've got to struggle up. Um, I was playing a battle against the Ruteni. Mm-hmm. I was taking the Ruteni city, and then the army came to uh, the Dead Man army came to uh, support this, them in their the besieged city. So I was caught between these two armies that I couldn't see because I was on the crest of one hill, and then there was a bit of a dip and another hill on the other side. And I had no freaking idea where the enemy was. Just not a clue. Um, so I walked around, and I'm not sure they ever found me either. Uh, I know they were there because I heard them. 
and I went towards them, and I saw a little bit of them, but then the timer ran out. I was wandering around for an hour in this huge map, just in the wrong direction, I guess, because uh, we were hidden by the what, what few trees there were. We were hidden in the trees, so they couldn't see us either. So it was a weird, weird uh, battle, Where, but that did show the effect that terrain could have. I mean, I like, I like there's one thing I like in these battles, that you don't see where the enemy is. Something that was always a problem yeah. uh, in the other games, but yeah, the terrain is—it does get a little repetitive. Uh, but I think that the, um, I think the, the atmospheric effects and the seasonal effects more yeah. than make up for it uh, in in this campaign game, at least. The the other thing I, I kind of find myself wondering about is the more I play it, the more I start to feel like there's a little bit of like legionary fanboyism going on you know, it's like oh man the, the roman legion was just the best and it could beat anything and it's it's you know it's it's kind of like the you know what's what's the super fans the whole chicago bear fans you know who's gonna win ditka or you know in this case well the legion is ditka and it's always gonna win uh that's that's kind of how this game feels a little bit to me is that your legions and this was admittedly kind of one of the advantages of uh the roman army is that you didn't necessarily need a you didn't need an Alexander to command a Roman army successfully because the thing kind of ran itself once it once it engaged. Um, that was that was kind of one yeah. of the strengths, but at the same time, it wasn't this friggin' effective. Like you can kind of if your legionaries are are are, in, are drawn up in a line and everything, if they're going to hit from the front. They're just going to, you know, if, if their morale holds out, and it probably will, uh, they're going to just keep chopping through until the other guys die. Uh, but even if they get flanked or hit by cavalry, they're not going to break. They're going to, like, cavalry will come in and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take the initial shock hit and then they'll cut the cavalrymen down. It almost doesn't matter, uh, which is a little bit. Yeah, it just seems like it's it just. They required a little bit more generalship than this. They weren't this. They weren't the Swiss army knife of, of a unit that could take out literally everything. Like, legions themselves took on radically different characters based on what theaters they were sent to serve in. It's, it's kind of like a legion was partly, like, the core of it was the Roman legion. And then the rest of the legion was whatever it adapted itself to in the local, you know, in the local circumstances. And we talked a bit about this uh, the other night. I mean, one of the issues here is that... Uh, the AI still can't pu- put together a decent battle plan. So it will, you know, just attack your legions head on in the front and in the face. But in a uh, lovely battle line. I've got to give it that But, credit. you know, in an absolutely beautiful marching battle line. And that's fine for a good war cry in charge. But, I mean, it's especially the problem with cavalry that we talked about. The, the cavalry, instead of charging, retreating, and charging, a good proper cavalry charge, the way it should be done, the way we as total war players do it, you hit, you pull back, and you just keep hitting over and over again. But you don't just sit there and get cut to pieces by by Spanish swords. That's just not a good way for cavalry to work. Um, and you know, once and because cavalry are so important in the total war value, in their hierarchy of values of a total war army, once a cavalry unit is put to flight, uh, you know, a lot of the other units start freaking out. Um, so you, I think you do get a few more routes more easily that way. But, you know, Roman legions were kind of the Swiss army knife of the ancient world. I'll take you on on that point. I mean, they really were this flexible, 
kind of unstoppable force. I mean, did they lose battles? Yeah, of course they lost battles. Most of the battles they lost were against Parthians. Well, they only lost. Curry is the only major battle. Curry lost against the Parthians, and Antony lost to the Parthians. But other than that, the Parthians were beaten handily by Ventidius, of all people. Antony's like lieutenant beat the Parthians handily. Cassius Longinus did a fighting retreat from Curry against the Parthians because they couldn't, you know, break his retreat line. Uh, so yeah, they were. They, 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 but they they lost other battles, mostly to other Romans. Or just through bad generalship, uh, like the battles against the Gallic invasions uh, in the first century BC, before the Marian reforms. Yeah, it's not really a legion, yeah. Well, it is, but you know, but 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 even then, you know, Republican armies were killing everyone around then too. Um, So you have, but even that, but post Marian reforms, you know, the the Romans did win pretty much every major engagement. that they, they they fought and it's and the but the issue and but they were often that we know about but we there the the interesting tactical stuff there, you're right there there should be more to it than this generals weren't this isn't you know the manipular legion where you just point the guys forward and hope for the best there, these are cohorts that are flexible enough to do some neat cool things with. Uh, as Caesar did repeatedly through his wars, uh, as Pompey did uh, in Spain, you have you know cohorts doing some interesting retreats, some interesting advances. You know, read about Caesar's wars in Africa and just how powerful the legion was. Yes, but powerful if it did certain things right, not just standing there taking arrows to the face, which isn't something legions are very good at. Yeah, except yeah here. Yes. So, I mean, so I'm, I'm fine with the Legion being kind of a super unit, or I would be, if I said, as I said, there was a sense they were scarce. Yeah. But because that scarcity isn't there, because you don't have, you know, the limits that Caesar had on his legions, I mean, we get to that point, famously, it's even one of the, one of the, the, the tech things for Pompey, famously, he has to give his legion back to Pompey. Because the Senate asks for one legion from Pompey and one legion from Caesar. And Pompey says, well, one of my legions is with Caesar. So Caesar ends up losing two legions to the Senate. Because he has to give back Pompey's yeah. as well. And that's a famous moment in the war. And Caesar's like, what the hell am I going to do with two fewer legions? This is right around Elysia. Um, or, so it's right after Elysia, I think. He's, uh, things aren't quite settled yet. So that sense of scarcity isn't there, and I think that would make you a little bit, I think, more willing to accept the gospel truth of the power of the Roman legion. Yeah, I, I guess I, I think you're, you're probably right in that it would probably work better if there was the sense that every legionary you lost was kind of this precious resource that you were down. Uh, as opposed to, well, I guess I just rotate this army closer to Narbo now. Okay, they're charged back up. And, you know, after a month, you've got your legions fully restocked and ready to go. Uh, as opposed to this horrifying sense of like, well, you know, I fought a huge battle in the spring and there ain't going to be no no more serious reinforcements from Rome until the next campaign season. So if I screwed this up, that's kind of what I got, uh, which should be yeah, pretty cool. So, yeah, so you send your guy back to Narbo to, re-get more uni- re- to get more units, but it could take a while. And meanwhile, you've got to trust... Your allies or your mercenaries, or your auxiliaries, yeah. out 
uh, in Belgium. You know, that's that's the other thing. So I've been I've been rereading uh, I've been I've been rereading uh, Caesar's commentaries on the Gallic War, and you know one of the things I've been struck by and. Okay, so Total War games are clearly not history, as witnessed by the fact that everybody has a Zippo lighter uh, to set their whatever their throwing implement of choice is on fire. Uh, everyone can do that. <laughs> uh, even in a driving rainstorm, in fact, uh, it, it totally works. But, you know, so the thing is, if the campaign in Gaul were just sort of this like steamroller conquest, it wouldn't be terribly interesting if it was just like Caesar starts in southern France and just keeps marching north, and each year he eats yeah. a little more France. You wouldn't have a terribly interesting story. It wouldn't be this this right. this masterful campaign. What makes it kind of cool, and this is kind of what I what I'm sad that um you know I'm I'm, I'm sad that uh, Caesar and Gaul doesn't quite bring out is that. A lot of this campaign is built on this, you know, quicksand of alliances and betrayal that the Gauls can never really get their act together effectively long enough to resist Caesar or they don't ally at the right times. But also Caesar can never trust his Gallic allies or someone he can't trust someone to stay neutral because all these people are kind of jockeying for position in Gaul. The situation is constantly shifting like Caesar's, you know, his his, his second year's campaigns are actually in the, in the north of France. He's easy. He's fighting the Belgians. Um, that's that's the second thing he does after after fighting uh, along the Swiss border. You don't get any of that in Caesar and Gaul. In Caesar and Gaul, it's very much just this like brick by brick conquest. You know, well, okay, yeah. took took something in southern France. Now take something in western southwest France. Okay, I've locked out the bottom row of France. Now I go north, and that's. It's it's a little disappointing, and it really does highlight the limitations of this diplomacy model, you know, which just really isn't supple enough uh, to really have anything terribly interesting happen. Well, the, the the Gauls can federate; they can join with each other, um, and they can fight. They have their own wars, their own little squabbles. But really, there's no. It's. It's not a very flexible system. I don't get any sense of personality for who these people are. Um, you know, they'll put, oh, so and so, I want to declare war on the, on the Allobroges, and you're my ally. You're coming with me, right? Say, sure. The Allobroges offer me 2,000 gold to make peace? Sure. I have no reason to hold one alliance over another because these are these tall, tiny little Gallic states that are never much of a threat. There's no sense that. I am in any danger. My campaign is in danger, and like and like you say, it's just a brick by brick from south to north conquest. It's not okay. I'm in Switzerland, but now I'm in Belgium, and now I'm in Aquitania, and okay, now I've got to go to Britain or whatever. And there's something going on in the Rhine. There's never this sense of discovering where the conflict is. The conflict's where you decide the conflict is. I mean, it's easy to say that, you know, well, Caesar just went there to start a war and conquer everything, which he sort of did, but he had to do it in the right way. He couldn't just show up and burn everything down. I mean, that's what, that's what, what Crassus would have done, but that's Crassus. Uh, Caesar was a little more savvy than that. Uh, he was about, you know, making sure everyone was fighting the right war at the right time and never too outnumbered and making sure he had a way back. Um, because in... I'm not going to 
hold the fact that it's ahistorical uh, too much against the game because the whole point is to tell your own story of the conquest of Gaul, blah, blah, blah. But the campaign will always play out pretty much the same. There's not going to be a lot of variety uh, in this very small campaign as you play it, um, which is kind of too bad because it is you know, a really dynamic and exciting uh, war. Uh, it's an, it's a, I mean, I'm more a Republican than a Caesarian when it comes to my uh, understanding the, of the, Senate were the, the worst. final days of the Republic. Don't get me started. They the were Senate seriously the worst. Hey, Caesar was a senator, too. Uh, so, but he, but the, 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 if you haven't read the, if listeners, you haven't read the commentaries on the Gallic War, they're just, there's a reason they are, they were like training school books for people learning Latin. It's just such a pure, simple, clearly propagandistic, half lies description. All true. Of, but, but enough of it is true, enough of it is reliable to get a sense of, okay, you can almost see, he never says, okay, now Caesar realizes he's in tough shit. Everything's, of course, well planned, and so, but you can tell he's kind of ad hocking things because he's in trouble. It comes through in the writing because the writing is generally so clear. Even if he's trying to show how confident and controlled he is, you can tell when he's actually not because he's in trouble. Um, it's just such a beautiful, elegant piece of writing. It's one of my favorite pieces of Latin literature uh, because of that. Um, and it's sort of one of the greatest campaign pamphlets ever written. Um, for that second consulship, he never got fairly elected to. Yeah, there's definitely there, there's there's a lot of cool things happening in that book, and it's 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 neat the way like Caesar's constantly sort of misdirecting the Gauls that they can sort of see that he's conquering Gaul like bit by bit, like bringing tribes to heel and everything, but it's happening in such a way, and there's always such a good excuse for him to be fighting whatever police action he's currently on that it's like nobody can quite put the pieces together until it's too late. That you know, my God, we've we we're like hey, we've given him half the country. There, there's there, there's no turning back at this point because he's always like, oh, I've got a oh, there's there's somebody acting up in the north. Okay, I'll I'll show up and we'll square it away. Don't well, worry. He, because he, because he, there is no country. He's got this hired gun, and everyone sees him as the guy who can square things, who can make who can who, who can give them. He's the super weapon. Yep. Who's introduced into Gaul, and he's be he's been winning all these wars for all these people, and that's great. He's on their side. And it's just kind of too late when they're finally rallied and somebody says, hey, you know what, dudes, you're losing everything. Um, and it's really a nice, it's, you know, it's the divide and rule aspect of Roman life and sort of the only clear text example we have of how it worked. And we have secondhand accounts of how it worked, you know, by Pompey's campaign against the Sertorians in Spain and... Uh, his campaign in the east, and of course, uh, what Scipio had to do in Africa. But as far as first-hand accounts, um, it's it, it's a nice story. And the worst part of it is, here's my part from the Caesar's battles, from Caesar's commentaries that isn't in the game. And those are the amazing battles he had to fight. I mean, here we have the Total War system, and I've always complained about this in all the Total War games. We There just aren't enough historical battles to fight. Um, there aren't enough, you know, scenarios. Uh, here's this great battle engine, uh, but, you know, you're playing a long campaign, you're not going to be fighting all of the battles. But maybe I want to fight 
the Battle of Bibracti. Maybe I want to fight Sabus uh, with the ambush, or I want to fight Gergovia, the battle that Caesar lost, uh, the only battle uh, in Gaul that he lost. So, of course, it was somebody else's fault, uh, if you read the commentaries. It wasn't his fault. Uh, you want to you want to play these out. Um, you want to play his story, his crossing of the Rhine. These are amazing encounters that will be nice to see brought to life with this beautiful artwork and beautiful units and beautiful topography. And we don't get any of that. Yeah, we, we do get... So we get his signature battle. We get Elysia. We get Elysia, yeah. Sort of. Elysia is such a... The great thing about Elysia isn't the... Isn't the stabbing? <laughs> yeah, it really that, that's I mean, Elysia is this great, amazing moment in military history, and it does end with a really great, exciting battle where the Romans have to fight Gallic armies on both sides. But the fun of Elysia is the damn guy thought of doing it. I mean, the genius of Elysia isn't the fighting; it's the I'm going to wall my, I'm going to wall them in, and then wall myself in. I mean that's and then and then wait, and then, you know starving the Gallic women and children instead of accepting them in Roman tradition uh, as you know refugees because he knew that would have starved his own resources and the Gauls couldn't feed them. It's this beautiful, pathetic story uh, in the book, and it's a beautiful, amazing battle and well fought. But it's not about the stabbing. Sabus is about the stabbing. Bracti is about the stabbing. It's about the maneuvering and Elysia isn't about that. I don't want to storm Elysia. No. I don't want to And it's just you know Rome the the Total War games like to pretend they have this huge sweeping scale, but really when you like, you know, just count up the pure number of units and everything, but the battles aren't that big, which which is fine. They're they're yeah. abstractions of these battles. Of course. And that's that's fine. But it does create problems where you're trying to sort of create something that actually happened, and your game just doesn't allow for it to actually play out that way. Like so Elysia starts with a tiny it starts this tiny little cesarean army in between two fences basically and there's gauls yes. coming down from the hills and they, oh, they knock down your fence and you knock <laughs> <laughs> down your fence and you gotta smack him around a little bit and then they go running off and then oh no there's more gauls and so you gotta run to the other part of your fence and fight the gauls there and it's like god this it is so sad it's the saddest <laughs> thing <laughs> It is so sad. This is not the Alicia I signed up for. <laughs> and also, the only reason Alicia works is because the fortifications are actually a little bit better than the fence. Like they're 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 pretty good. Yes. <laughs> it's 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 really this. It, it, it is it is it is an Elysia LARP is what it is. It's a bunch of guys in a field LARPing <laughs> oh Rome versus Gaul, and all they can get is a fence from Home Depot, <laughs> and that's really what it boils. It doesn't feel anything like anything it's it's and they have so much to choose from this beautifully well-written book with great details that are even if you 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 can cut the gallic armies by a third and still have a decent good scary army crossing out of the woods to fight you and they have these books to work with and make these beautiful battles and they just don't 
and they've never done they've there are so many great scenarios i mean i have so many ancient battles games if i were to open up field of glory right now this miniature game um from slytherin i'm sure i have probably 50 battles through the total war period the entire total war period plus a bunch of some before that and a bunch of medieval battles uh as well but just in the probably 50 just in the time frame of Rome Total War. And how many scenarios do they give us? Six? And they got Raphia wrong because it's a chariot army? Um, so... Yeah. You know, the- I mean, I, I, this is just... I, I, I know that they want to focus on the strategy side, which is great. But this is the weird thing about the game and the marketing and also but this is a rant I've given before and I'm going to give it again. It's a strategy game. It's a turn-based strategy game. A beautiful, amazing, through through its entire series, franchise of turn-based strategy where all of the marketing and emphasis is on these glorious, wonderful 3D battles. And then where you can, you know, refight history. You know, I want to refight history. I want to fight Pharsalus. I want to fight Zama. I want to make my own Zam, my own Farsalus, but it takes nothing, like really nothing for them, a little longer for me using their editor because their editor is a piece of crap, but a little longer, but it takes time for them to give me a Zama, to give me a Farsalus, to give me a Gergovia. Um, and they don't. And that kind of hurts me as a war gamer. And if someone just wants to see how these things would play out, um, so that that's my that's my third rant yeah. of the night. I should probably start start ranting. Well, stop you, ranting. you know, probably in the mind of to this to this day, I'm still kind of baffled that they completely got rid of the uh, the videos for agents doing stuff, and I kind of feel like in Shogun too, certainly, and I, I know mm-hmm. also Napoleon, there was more of an effort of con- sort of constructing a narrative. Of what's happening with this with this empire you're building? What's what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And in Rome too, there's really none of that because it's completely fixated on this whole. You know, it's it's sort of the open world game of strategy games, right? Look, you can do anything, but really, they really constrain your options because the game is so open that they kind of have to make it generic. But what ends up getting missed there is like. We talked before on this show about sort of the death of great scenario design or games that are just mm-hmm. scenarios, games that are just yeah. collections of scenarios. Like, nobody would make Myth today. Nobody would do that. No. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real-time tactical game that's basically narrative cutscenes uh, breaking up scripted missions. Um, yep. And they're great games. I played the played the hell out of Myth 1 and 2. But nobody would do that again because there's this kind of knee-jerk... Um, reaction against anything that sort of constrains you that way everything's got to be emergent i don't want things authored i want to go and create i want to go create my own for solace and i never want to have to fight the real thing uh but i i think what what gets missed there is that you really can't you can have both and what was cool about a game like napoleon is that the final campaign the grand campaign which takes place like on the eve of uh uh, it's, it starts out in like 1804, 1805 or something. Uh, yeah. so before, before the third coalition gets busted up, um, you, you, that's the big open ended campaign. That's pretty cool. 
But before that, you also get campaigns in Italy. You get a campaign in Egypt. Uh, these cool little vignettes uh, that sort of give you a sense of what came before, uh, you know, the, the what, what came before and after. And then and then it ends with Waterloo. Uh, not a very good Waterloo, but it ends with it. And there's little cutscenes involved. And I guess what I what I end up missing is that. You, you you could have had both. I think you could make a really cool set of linked scenarios out of a Bibracte or something like that, where you know, you could you you could create you know, one scenario where you, your legion has to defend the surprise assault from the Gauls, and then you know, the mm-hmm. second part is your flank is collapsing and you've got to bring the reserve legions into action, clear it out. And your next one is, you know, so on and so forth. Create this, like, you know, chain of war game-like scenarios. But instead, everything's got to be this one battle and done thing in, in Total War. Everything's got to be, look, we just set the stage, and then you have your big battle, and then it's over. Uh, but but that's not what that... Th- that engine needs help. This design needs help recreating parts of history. And I feel like with previous expansions... Creative Assembly had a greater grasp of that, that you had to sort of tweak the game a little bit to create this new experience. And here, and in Rome 2 in general, it's kind of this, you know, well, if we make the big game, if we we make the game big enough, one size really can fit all. And it it really doesn't. I I still think Caesar and Gaul is kind of cool. I think it's... In a lot of ways, more fun than uh, than Rome Two was, and yes, I will say, absolutely. playing the Gauls, not bad. More interesting armies. Um, I'll have to try that. Yeah, no, it definitely takes a little more. It's a little more of a classic Total War thing, right? Where it's like you've got your elite swordsmen, and you got your kind of mediocre swordsmen, you got your spearmen, you got your armored spearmen. This whole like melange of units that you got to somehow cobble together into effective fighting force, and you can't just put six. You can't just put six legionary units down in the middle of your line and say, "Go to it." Uh, and that's and that's really cool. So I will say that the the, the, Gaul, the, the Gauls maybe have a slightly more interesting experience. But fundamentally, yeah, I, I think it's for me. For me, it's for me. It's okay. For me, it's a slightly more fun thing to do with Rome uh, that doesn't really quite address my issues with Rome. You like it less. Cool. I like it less than you do, but I still like it more than Rome too. All right. I think that has. I think it has quite a bit to. Rec- I think there's a lot to recommend it. And if you're feeling, if you like Rome too, you'll like this uh, clearly because uh, it is, I think, better and tighter. Um, but it still has many of the same problems and concerns I have with Rome too. But it is, it smaller is better, focused is better. But I think you're right; they need to have a better grasp of framing their history. Yeah, you know, if if they come back with another expansion uh, that maybe is more in the tradition of their more recent expansions, I'm totally on board. Like Mithridates, there's a there's one right there. He comes back and back over and over. He, he's the Napoleon of uh, the Total War era. Is he? Well, he sucks. So, yeah. Oh, God. He's... It's like you're wrong about everything. No. Mithridates, he's, he's fun. I'll say that. He's fun. That, 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 that's another book I should loan you. My biography of Mithridates. All right. Well, you have to I'm bring gonna, it to Miami. I'm going to bring you. I have, like, so many books to bring you. It's, like, insane. Why don't you live closer, dude? Because uh, it's freaking cold up there, man. Yeah, it really is. That's nice today. 
All right, so that'll do it for our discussion of Caesar and Gaul, and we'll be back next week with uh, the inaugural installment of our Winter of Wargaming. It'll be one of a couple titles that we're working that out. Uh, But until then, this has been Three Moves Ahead, and good night. Good night, everyone.